Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 156. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you to follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan, like me on Facebook at Brian McClanahan, and subscribe to my YouTube page. If you want to find all those things, just go out to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. You've got all my social media buttons at the top of the page. And while you're there, you can give me an email address, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You'll get an email from me every couple of times a week, once or twice a week, something like that. So not a big deal, but you get something free out of it, and that's a good thing. Also, if you want to support The Brian McClanahan Show, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights going, help keep the podcast up and running. If you also want to support The Brian McClanahan Show, go to mcclanahanacademy.com, where I've got a couple of classes available at this time. It's always free to join, and if you join, you'll get any deals that I offer on those classes. And I will be having another class probably by late spring on a great topic, so you're going to want to get in on that deal when it's out there. But go to mclanahanacademy.com. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to learn, T-R-U-E, history.com. Get a subscription there. That's uh, my affiliate link for Liberty Classroom. But going out and become a member there, uh, it's the cheapest in terms of bit, most bang for the buck educational website on the uh, out there. I mean, there's there's nothing better than it. Uh, you've get you've got uh, close to 20 classes now for very little money, and it's uh, classes you can uh, enjoy in your car on the go, on your desktop computer, and it's taught by professors you can trust. Myself, Kevin Goodsman, Tom Woodsman, Tom, Tom Woodsman, Tom Woods, excuse me. <laughs> it's early in the morning. Tom Woods, uh, Jason Jewell, and others, so Brad Berzer. So go out there and get uh, a subscription to learntruetruehistory.com. And you can also get your McClanahan Academy gear at redbubble.com. Just go out to redbubble.com, put my name in the search box, and you'll come up with all my cool stuff, shirts, stationery, all kinds of great things. So get your McClanahan Academy gear at redbubble.com. Okay, well, this is actually a listener-generated episode, and it was a great idea. And actually, I had an idea to write a book on this topic a few years ago, and I just never put the proposal together, never did anything with it. But maybe I'll do that because somebody actually asked, hey, that would be a cool podcast. It'd probably be a cool book, too. Um, and it would be a larger task than what I'm going to do on this particular podcast. But um, the listener asked if I would do a podcast on, say, somebody that didn't win the presidency but would have been better than those or the individual who was elected. And that is a fantastic idea. And, in fact, there was a book written on this topic in 1966 um, by Irving Stone, and it's entitled They Also Ran. And so, uh, well, it, it was actually published before that, but he had a, a second edition in 1966. Uh, they also ran. And Irving Stone was a popular historian, and he was a great writer. In fact, if you've ever seen the, the 1970s film The Agony and the Ecstasy, which is about Michelangelo, he wrote the book that became a play that became the film. So before there was Hamilton and Chernow and uh, Lynn Miranda, there was... Stone, and uh, then the play, and then the film. So maybe we'll have a Hamilton film. We'll, we'll see. But certainly, and I hope we don't. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it would give me fodder to write more about Hamilton. So uh, you, you should go out there. This is an interesting book. Stone is an excellent writer, and I, I disagree with some of his positions, but 
it's a great topic. What would have happened if certain individuals had won the, the presidency uh, over the person that won? Um, and so I'm going to focus on three elections. And the one thing, the deficiency in Stone's book is that he's only looking at major parties. I'm going to look at this from a little different perspective in each one of these elections because I think they're watershed elections and the, the whole direction of the United States and the general government could have turned in American history, could have turned had the individual one not been elected. I'm going to focus solely on the 19th century. When you get to the 20th century, um, that's a whole nother monster in and of itself. But I'm going to focus only on the 19th century because I think these three elections really are um, pivotal elections. Now, there's a couple I'm going to ignore and I'm going to lump together uh, and say, you know, because I'm just going to make a passing comment about it, because I'm not so certain even if these individuals had won, much would have changed in terms of the direction of the general government. But these other three elections, I think you could make a case that something drastic would have happened, dramatic would have happened, had these individual won, individuals won for the future of the United States. So I'm going to do this chronologically, and I'm going to start with the 1824 election. And I'm going to start with this election because it was a contentious election. If you don't know anything about it, in 1824, you had a whole slate of people who were pursuing the executive office, executive branch. Now, we didn't have modern political parties at that time, so you didn't have nominating processes and conventions and all that kind of stuff. So you just had individuals who were considered for the presidency based on their experience, who they were. Uh, and in fact, all of the major candidates save one were members of James Monroe's cabinet. So you had John Quincy Adams, who essentially eventually would become president. Uh, oh, the other one of them, two of them were not. Uh, you had uh, William Crawford of Georgia, who was Secretary of Treasury, who uh, is one individual I'm going to focus on. You had John C. Calhoun, who had served in the Monroe cabinet. Uh, you had Henry Clay, who was Speaker of the House, and you had Andrew Jackson, who was a United States senator at that point, but a war hero. And so what happens in this particular election is Calhoun's going to drop out of the of the process pretty quickly, and he's going to be considered as the vice presidential nominee on both the Adams and the Jackson tickets, essentially, if you want to lump these people together. And so what would have happened had John Quincy Adams not been elected president? I'm not going to say what would have happened if Jackson would have won, because that's really what the, the election came down to. But what would have happened had the Monroe supporters really galvanized behind William Crawford or John C. Calhoun. Now, Calhoun was not considered enough of a purist by the old Republicans at that point. Calhoun was more of a nationalist in 1824 than people realize uh, because he's often painted as this you know, radical sectionalist. Uh, Calhoun always considered himself a unionist his entire life. He never said that he was a sectionalist. He always believed in the original union, and that union that should have been maintained was the original Federal Republic with limited and defined powers. So as long as that union was maintained, and he said this, the union next to our liberty most year, if our liberty is abridged, then we don't need the union. But that was the important part. So what would have happened had Crawford or Calhoun won the election? What would have happened had John Quincy Adams not been given the presidency through the corrupt bargain, but instead of the other uh, you know, major candidate Jackson. Instead of Jackson, they had given it to someone like Calhoun or Crawford. Now, Crawford uh, had poor health. Uh, in fact, he's going to suffer a stroke. But this really is a turning point in American history because of the corrupt bargain, because of the 
stigma around John Quincy Adams. Jackson's going to come to power in 1829 through the 1828 election. And that really is a, a turning point in American history. What would have happened if someone like Calhoun had been given the executive branch at that point and he served two terms in office? We never would have had, or at least may not have had, uh, Andrew Jackson become president. We never would have had the nullification crisis of 1832. That's a certain thing. If Crawford or Calhoun becomes president, the tariff of abominations is not passed. We don't have that. We don't have this drift towards national republicanism in that 1825 to 1829 period because Adams and Clay were pushing it. That certainly doesn't happen because absolutely Calhoun and Crawford would have blocked this. I think even you know Calhoun at this point was certainly, even though he advocated the tariff of 1816, had moved away from that position by 1825. So I think that you would have seen the absence of the age of Jackson. You would not have seen a nullification crisis. You wouldn't have seen some of these things coming to a head at that particular point, and you wouldn't have had an executive branch that started laying the foundations for what would happen in 1860. You may not have seen the United States move in a much more sectional direction in the 1830s because those that political economy would not have happened. You still would have had a real union. You wouldn't have had the National Republicans agitating. See, this is the this is the whole point of American history that people miss. They think it's the sectionalists, the quote-unquote states' rights individuals that are agitating. But they weren't. In fact, it was the others, the National Republicans, who were agitating at all times to foist on the United States a national union that Americans simply didn't want. That would, a, national, a national union only favored one section at this particular point, and that was New England. So it was really New England that was agitating, and the South and the West at this point, you know, you can see Clay drifting towards the National Republicans and trying to bring the West into that sphere of influence, but certainly the majority of the West and the majority of the South were interested in the real union, the Federal Republic of the founding generation, and it was only the National Republicans that started this agitation process. And so, in, in reality, and I talk about this and how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America, we flipped in American history on its head because we look at it from the perspective of the winners. And we say, well, I mean, these states' rights guys, these people like Calhoun, all these people, they're just agitating. They're agitators. They're, they're trying to uh, block progress. No, they're trying to maintain what the founding generation created. It's the other side that were the agitators. It's the nationalists that were the agitators, not the... Uh, individuals who favored the Federal Republic of the founding generation. They were the ones. In the first Congress, they went off the rails. So certainly, if either one of these individuals wins, and you have, uh, say, a Calhoun win the presidency in 1824, and he wins again in 1828, Jackson may have been the candidate in 1832, possibly, but maybe not. Maybe Jackson uh, goes down in defeat, he uh, and, and Jackson, when you look at the career of, say, someone like David Crockett, Crockett was a Jackson man originally, and then he realized Jackson was a liar and turned his back on Jackson. Maybe someone like Crockett would have had much more political power in Tennessee, and they, you know, Jackson could have been blocked and because he became an also-ran. He became a has-been at that point. So maybe Jackson, maybe we never have the age of Jackson in terms of Jackson's view of executive power. And Jackson's view of executive power then would lead to someone like James K. Polk. Maybe we never have that because Jackson loses. So 
and Jackson never assumes the executive branch. So I think the 1824 election, when you look at these two individuals, certainly Calhoun would have been a better president than Andrew Jackson in terms of original intent. I think William Crawford would have been the same thing. Jackson was following a program. This is why he was called King Andrew by those in South Carolina. That certainly was the antithesis of what the founding generation considered to be a good president. Now you can say, well, yeah, but Jackson was following what Washington did with the Whisker Rebellion. Uh, this is why, and, and people were rightly critical of George Washington. This is why I have a section on George Washington and, and nine presidents who screwed up America. And, and uh, I'll never forget some of the interviews I did, and people were not happy with me criticizing George Washington because Washington was doing some things that were not considered to be right or correct in terms of executive power when he was in office. So 1824, certainly a watershed election. If it goes a different direction, maybe the entire United... Maybe if, if Jackson doesn't win, we don't have the crisis of 1860. But let's say, for argument's sake, Jackson still wins. We get to 1860. Now, this particular election, and essentially what, what you had in Stone's book, was Lincoln against Douglas. It's not Lincoln against Bell or Breckinridge. It's Lincoln against Douglas. But really, you have to look at this as Lincoln against the field. What would have happened had any one of the other individuals, whether it was Douglas, Breckinridge, Bell, become president? Well, certainly, you wouldn't have had the war. I think it's very clear that if any of those individuals become president, particularly Breckinridge, but even if Douglas becomes president, now, Douglas, of course, dies very shortly after the war begins, and he, he backed Abraham Lincoln. He backed the war. Um, he was interested in preserving the Union. But... What's interesting about this is Michael Holt has actually written a new book where he insists that the Breckinridge faction didn't really want to leave the Democrat Party. They essentially were forced out. Uh, they bolted, but they planned on coming back. What they wanted to do was get a platform that was more in line with the Supreme Court decision uh, in Dred Scott. When And so what you had at this point where... Northerners saying slavery regulation, uh, regulation of slavery in the territories was constitutional. Uh, Southerners saying it's unconstitutional because the Supreme Court has said so. The Douglas position was a middle ground that was not favored by, I, I would suggest, the majority of Americans at that time. Um, when you look at the individuals in the South who, who called Douglas the Douglas position squatter sovereignty, when you looked at those in the North that said that Douglas position was squatter sovereignty, it was a political solution to a bigger problem that needed to be solved in some other way. But certainly, uh, the majority of the American public didn't favor popular sovereignty. Now, that said, I think if Crittenden had been allowed to get his compromise measures through the Congress and then uh, up to a vote, um, I think that they would have passed and the American public would have been fine with it had that happened. I mean, this is the thing that most people don't realize. Probably the, the Crittenden compromise would have sailed through uh, and you would have had that uh, added to the those amendments that he advocated added to the Constitution, and the issue would have been moot. We would we not would we would not had a war in 1861. So Lincoln against the field. I think any one of those individuals avoids war, which would have been a good thing. Now, in saying that, people will say, "Well, wait a second here. If the war didn't happen, slavery wouldn't have ended." Well, uh, not in 1865, certainly. So you can look at it and say, well, I mean, we wouldn't have had the end of slavery, which is a bad thing in 1865. It's a good thing that slavery ended in 1865. The question always is, at what cost did it require the death of a million men? 
And certainly Lincoln wasn't interested in ending slavery in 1861. He said as much. The war was not fought, even regardless of what they say on Legends and Lies right now on Fox News. The war was not fought to end slavery in 1861. It was fought to preserve the Union. And all the fake quotes you can come up with Lincoln being so distraught over slavery in 1861, uh, to the contrary, uh, Lincoln was not, I mean, as he said over and over again, if I could save the Union without freeing the slaves, I would. And that was his primary goal in 1860. But the Union could have been saved had Lincoln not been elected president. He never would have had the war. South Carolina probably would have come back in the Union. They would have seceded maybe in November, uh, December of 1860. Uh, but uh, they probably would have come back, and no other state would have joined them. I think it's very clear, had anyone other than Lincoln been elected president, you would not have had the Confederate States of America. It just wouldn't have happened. You wouldn't have had a sectional candidate elected president, and then you wouldn't have the, the reaction to that, which was, we're out. Because we can see the writing on the wall, we're going to have sectional government. Uh, so anyone, the field against Lincoln, anyone would have been preferable to Abraham Lincoln in 1860. Anyone. Uh, and I think that's something that, uh, you know, when, when you look at these legend and lies, you look at this stuff, and of course I've made this position clear in my books, uh, Lincoln was bad for the United States. He screwed up America. And he did so by, an, by expanding executive power beyond what it was intended by the founding generation. Plus, he, let, he created a great big war. Uh, and a war that, again, led to the death of, a, deaths of a million people. Some of the best men, North and South, were killed in that war. Horrible situation. Uh, slavery would have ended in the United States at some point. When is the question? I think that it probably would have lasted in the Deep South, uh, maybe into the late 19th century, perhaps even the early 20th century. But certainly uh, machine innovations would have made uh, slavery much less profitable and much more expensive. And so things would have happened. There would have been a chance for some type of gradual compensated emancipation, something like that, which had been allowed to happen in the northern states. Emancipation there was unmolested. So uh, you wouldn't have had this cataclysmic shift, a cataclysmic shift in the South, and in, in terms of all the all the uh, all the things that's going to create, all the turmoil, political, social turmoil. There would have been a much more uh, agreeable end to the institution, uh, and so it would have it would have been beneficial for the United States to avoid that war. Ultimately, and so Lincoln against the field. I think anyone other than Lincoln would have been better for the United States at that point and the American public. Certainly, you wouldn't have had the war. And that said, so I'm going to briefly discuss, I'm going to mention the election of 1868 and 1876 because those two elections are often cited. Well, you had you know, Horatio Seymour in 1868, uh, and, and of course, 64, you could throw a McClellan. I mean, if, if McClellan wins in 64, the war ends. Uh, though that's not necessarily 100% certain. McClellan, the platform, the Democrat platform in 1864, certainly said that we're going to pursue the war, still pursue the war. But I think McClellan would have been much more agreeable to a peace treaty with the South, and you probably would have had two republics at that point, uh, a, a much more centralized regime in the North and a far less centralized regime, regime in the South. So maybe 1864, you could see you know, what had happened there if McClellan wins. Uh, the South is probably recognized, and the war ends. And um, gosh, the direction of the United States would have been very interesting at that point. You would have had a a rival republic. What would have happened to the U.S.? So uh, that's an interesting question of itself. But 1868 and 76, you had you had uh, 
Uh, Horatio Seymour in 68 and Samuel Tilden in 76. The reason I'm going to just kind of gloss over these two is because probably not a whole lot would have changed at that point. And I say that because neither one could have blocked the Republican-controlled Congress in 69 with, if Seymour became president was in 69. Or, uh, and, and same thing with, well, well, I'll say this with Tilden. If he wins, it doesn't matter. Hayes did the exact same thing Tilden would have done in 1877 in ending Reconstruction. Tilden was going to do that too. Tilden would have, would have brought about a much more um, Cleveland-like government before Grover Cleveland in 1885, but you're only looking at you know a decade there. Uh, you, you wouldn't have had perhaps the, uh, the political turmoil of the corruption of the 1880s had Tilden been, the early 1880s, had Tilden been elected, uh, you wouldn't have had uh, you know, uh, Garfield and Arthur and some of the stuff going on there and the stalwarts and the half-breeds and all those other things, all that corruption. Maybe that would have been stamped out had Tilden won. But uh, certainly in, in the Hayes administration, as there are people that like the Hayes administration. I know Larry Reed uh, has written a lot about Hayes as being you know, one of the best presidents in American history. But uh, I don't think Seymour would have been able to block Reconstruction. Uh, he would have been just another sacrificial lamb like Andrew Johnson. And I certainly don't think that uh, Tilden would have been much different in terms of what would have happened to Reconstruction than Hayes. Maybe you would have had a drift towards you know, much, a much more Cleveland-dominator-type uh, government in 1877 than you would have had you know, 1885, which was just eight years later. Uh, you wouldn't have had the, maybe you wouldn't have had the assassination of Garfield and uh, the administration of Arthur. Maybe Tilden wins two terms. Who knows? And then you would have moved right into Cleveland. You would have had the Democrats moving. So there could have been a little shift there. But and I think Tilden uh, would have been a better president than Rutherford B. Hayes. But certainly um, you, you wouldn't have had, uh, maybe you wouldn't have had some of the turmoil of the 1880s. But I, in terms of Reconstruction, not a whole lot would have been different. Now, uh, 1896 is also an important watershed election because I think this this bridges us into the 20th century. What would have happened in 1896 if William Jennings Bryan or, more importantly, John Palmer would have been elected president other than William McKinley? You might be saying, who the heck is John Palmer? John Palmer, and this is one of the first pieces I ever wrote online, and I wrote this back in 2009 for LewRockwell.com on the National Democratic Party. John Palmer was the nominee for the NDP. This is a gold gold standard Cleveland centered party splinter party of the Democrats. The Democrats nominated Bryan in 1896 and the conservative Democrats bolted either they voted for McKinley or they they voted for Palmer and Buckner. Uh, that's the other funny thing about this legends and lies. Somebody asked, I'll probably review this thing at some point, but they have this scene where Buckner and Grant meet up and Buckner's kind of this, Oh, Grant, uh, how about that $300? Wink, wink. And when Grant's very firm, no, I'm going to, uh, we're going to pursue the, we're not going to do that. And Buckner's kind of looks like a doofus, uh, this hayseed idiot. And Grant looks very firm and I'm um, the union guy. I mean, this is just ridiculous. Uh, Buckner was a well-liked, uh, and very polished Southern gentleman. So just stupid. Uh, but anyways, that's that's legend and lies. It should be, you know, the and it is legend and lies, but not not why they say it's legend and lies. Um, so what happens if Palmer or Bryan wins? I think one thing is clear. You know, Bryan, for all of his deficiencies, was an anti-imperialist. And I'm not so certain had either one of those individuals won the executive office, you would have had the Spanish-American War, which plunged the United States, as William Graham Sumner very clearly said, into a 
position of imperialism. This is the conquest of the United States by Spain. We become Spain. We become, the United States becomes the imperial power. You wouldn't have had that had uh, either one of these individuals won the executive office. So I think in that way, you know, you wouldn't have had Teddy Roosevelt then. Let's say Brian wins in 1896, and he probably would have won again in 1900. There's no Teddy Roosevelt. My gosh, you wouldn't have plunged into this headlong, into this uh, national greatness, greatness republicanism that all these people admire now. Now, Brian, of course, was a progressive. So in terms of domestic policy, you probably would have seen some similar things out of Brian as you would have Roosevelt. But foreign policy certainly would have been different. And we can, we can certainly say that foreign policy is the most important job the president has. What happens if we don't go to war with Spain in 1896? Or 1898, excuse me. What happens if we don't go to war with Spain in 1898? We don't acquire Cuba. We don't acquire a Pacific Empire. We don't get the Philippines. We don't fight there. Uh, maybe we don't even uh, pick up Hawaii. Maybe the United States blocks that. What would have happened for the future of the United States in terms of world wars? If we're not in the Pacific like that, are we going to be involved in uh, the Filipino-American War? Absolutely not. Are we going to be involved in the Boxer Rebellion later on? Are we going to have the open-door policy? Are we going to get involved in the Hawaii, the overthrow of the Hawaiian government? And then, of course, the uh, establishment of uh, the United States annexation of Hawaii. Are we going to be involved in the Korean War? Are we going to be involved in World War II? Are we going to be involved in Vietnam? If we're not in the Pacific like we were because of the Spanish-American War, are those things going to happen? And I think very clearly you could say probably not. How about in the Caribbean? If we don't acquire Cuba and then... Do we have this long process by which the Cubans become our dependent client state? Cuba becomes our client state, and then we have the rise of Fidel Castro later on. Does that even happen? Does that even happen? If Spain continues to control those two colonies, what happens? We probably don't have Castro. Things would have been different. Uh, the United States may have had a different policy towards the Caribbean and Latin America. We may not have had the Panama Canal like we did. I mean, with Roosevelt's not president, maybe we don't get involved in creating the country of Panama. Maybe we don't become the bully of the Western Hemisphere. Maybe we don't have the Roosevelt corollary to the Monroe Doctrine. All those things change. It would have been a watershed moment in American history had William Jennings Bryan or John Palmer been elected president because both were non-interventionists or anti-imperialists. I mean, Bryan resigned from Woodrow Wilson's cabinet because uh, of Wilson's drift towards imperialism and involvement in World War I. Now, you can say, well, yeah, well, Brian was there when some of the other things were going on, certainly. But uh, he was against the adventurism of the Wilson administration. He resigned. So I think that you could have seen a different United States foreign policy had either one of these individuals been elected president. Maybe they get two terms. Maybe Brian gets two terms, and we, have, uh, we don't ever get Teddy Roosevelt and maybe we have another Democrat. Maybe in 1904, Alton Parker is nominated uh, is, is nominated by the Democrats again, and he wins. And there, you know, who was his opponent in 04? Who knows? May not have been Teddy Roosevelt. So uh, I think this is uh, that's one of those elections when you look at it and say, "Gosh, you know, uh, that would have been that would have been an interesting situation had uh, the individual won, William McKinley." not been elected, had uh, for some reason the Democrats been able to pull off the election, or had they been smart and nominated a conservative 
rather than William Jennings Bryan, someone like Palmer, uh, maybe they defeat McKinley because the conservatives don't bolt the party and uh, you have uh, a Palmer winning the election. So who knows? Uh, of course, uh, there's a lot of questions. I mean, this is all this is historical inference. It's a fun thing to do. Uh, you don't know. I mean, we could have had the United States go in the exact same direction. Uh, there is a, a television show that kind of gets into this right now. It's called Timeless, and it's an interesting concept. You know, what happens if you go back and you just change one little thing in history, and then that changes all of history, and then what happens there? So it is a, a very interesting concept, and it's it's basically historical inference. Uh, and then what that would do to individuals. And so it's fun to, to have these type of, of discussions and debates. But uh, certainly I think you can say that a lot would have changed um, had in these three elections, 24, 60, or 96, anyone but the person that won been elected president. And I say the field because there were other options other than just the person we often look at, Jackson or Douglas or Bryan. There was another option in all those elections. So I hope that answered the question. You know, could you go over some of these individuals? I didn't go into detail in any particular individual like this uh, listener asked to do, but these are three important elections. And maybe at some point I'll pick one of these individuals out and go into more detail. I've already done a podcast on Calhoun, so maybe I'll do one on uh, somebody else like uh, Brian or uh, Crawford or something at some point and talk about these people. Or maybe I'll talk about the NDP, but. Uh, because that is an interesting phenomenon as well. But I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork for that in a future podcast episode. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.